Let us pray. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, our Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God, we are grateful this day that even in the midst of our faithlessness, you have remained consistent in your faithfulness towards us. God, the life will never be able to really express the many times in which you had the opportunity to abandon us because of our own will and our waywardness towards your will for our lives. But God, you remain the same, not because of us, but in spite of us. So God, we say thank you for looking beyond all of our faults, deciding to save us, and even in the midst of saving us, still making ways out of no way on our behalf. So God, we gather this day to worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask now that as the word goes forth, that God, your name will be magnified. Someone, if they may be outside of the ark of safety, will come to know you as their Lord and personal Savior. It's in the name of Jesus we do pray. And we all said, amen. To the spirit of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, I greet you all with the greeting of good morning. But this is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad therein. Let me express uh, first my gratitude. Uh, last week, our family uh, traveled to Chicago, uh, where the, uh, the first of my grandmother's uh, grandchildren uh, was married last week. Amen. Uh, last Sunday, and so we uh, got to Chicago Friday, uh, came back. Us, almost didn't make it back, amen, uh, for the, most of our flights were canceled Monday morning. Mine wasn't, amen, um, but, uh, uh, but that was a blessing to be there to share with our family. And so thank you all for uh, your acts of kindness and concern uh, while we were away last week in your leadership uh, in worship, amen. There's a word from our God found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. As we continue to explore the essentials of friendship, and in this season, being grateful for friends that exemplify the qualities as found between the relationship of King David and the prophet Nathan. A few weeks ago, we explored their first encounter of when Nathan had to tell, had to encourage David in his aspiration to build a temple to the Lord, but had to come back and tell him, David, this is not what the Lord wants you to do at this time. Amen? So we expressed that the essentials of friendship is that a friend will encourage you, but a true friend will also come back and tell you when they are wrong. And when they have their best interest for you in God in mind. Amen? Sometimes a friend has to come back and tell you that they were wrong. But another essential of a friend is we'll explore today in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 
we'll begin reading at verse number one responsibly. Hear the words of our God, beginning with verse number one from the King James Version of the Bible. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. But the poor man had nothing, save one except one little ewe lamb, a female lamb which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Help him, Holy Ghost. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Verse number seven together. Thou art the man. Amen. For the time we share today, I want to lift the thought, The Essentials of Friendship, Part 2. The Essentials of Friendship, uh, Part 2. As we explored a few weeks ago, the relationship between Nathan and David was one not only classified as that of a prophet to a king, but a friend with the friend's interest at stake. That one of the qualities, one of the purest qualities of friendship is when you know you have someone in your corner who's going to look out for you at all times. That sometimes a friend is, is hard to find with, with all the qualities that we want in one person. And, and some of us have multiple friends, but I've come to understand if you have one true friend, one true friend, you are blessed above measure. That everybody you associate with should not be allowed to carry the title of a friend. And as we explore and have explored Nathan and David, we understand it's a complex relationship that, that some of us get stuck and hung up on the good stuff of friendship as we see in David and Jonathan, of two men whose bosoms and whose hearts were so intermingled together that Jonathan loved his friend David even more than his foolish father, Saul. And as David has now 
spent some time as king. He has had many successful moments, but he's also had some shameful moments that many times in good church we gloss over. That no matter how we put David up on a pedestal, David shows us that no matter how anointed you are, we all have some human flaws. That no matter how you can shout, speak in tongues, and cast out demons, all of us have human flaws. That no matter how great you think you are, all of us, just like who is that, Superman, have our kryptonite. Yours may not be kryptonite. You may be Popeye with olive oil. Amen. You, all of us have that, that weak point that if the covers were to be pulled back, the door open, some of our skeletons would fall out. I've expressed before, some of us don't have skeletons. Some of us got whole bodies still breathing. Amen. I got a couple of them. Amen. And if folks were to really see who we are, it would be a terrible day. And that is revealed in the life of David in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11. That while David as king, the children of Israel are out at war, but the king David finds himself doing something around the palace. And the way that the palace was situated, that if you go up on the rooftop, you could see just about the whole city. And as David is up there, supposed to be at war, should be at war, he's up there in something across the way, like Chris Brown. Amen. Saw you from across the room. Hey. <laughs> Amen. Saw you from across the room. Catches his eye by the name of a woman by the name of Bathsheba. And in having an infatuation with this particular woman, he, 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 he decides to have intercourse with this woman. They put a pen there, and let's park for a minute, that in the day of David, women had no right over their bodies. Y'all follow me? In biblical times, women were listed amongst animals and property. And so whatever man desired to have her in any kind of way, she did not have the right to say no. And especially you didn't have the right to say no if the king tries to holler at you. Y'all follow me? So essentially, what David commits here is what we would label in our court system, in our legal system, as rape. That this man in whom God even says is a man after his own heart has on his rap sheet rape. Because he forces this woman to have intercourse with him and she did not have the right to say no. And in the course of them having intercourse, the woman Bathsheba becomes pregnant. 
And as we know, in biblical times, whenever there was intercourse made, you were then classified as being married. Y'all follow me? Not only has David forced this woman to do this, he has also forced her into a marriage outside of her will or ability to say no. But then it becomes a big uh-oh because she gets pregnant. Because you know how we do. It ain't sin until you get caught. Don't ask me how I know. Amen. It, it ain't an issue until you get, am I right about it? So here it is. David wouldn't have even thought twice about this issue if he hadn't gotten caught by getting this woman pregnant through forcible rape. Right? Stay with me now. And instead of David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 owning up to his fault and his failure, he devises a scheme to not get caught. He devises in his mind that, okay, I'm, I realize that this woman's husband is getting ready to come off of leave. So when he comes off of leave, I'm going to throw a, a kickback at the house. And in throwing the kickback at the house, I'm going to make sure that he gets the top shelf alcohol. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure that he, he gets so inebriated, inebriated so that he will then go home and have inter, intercourse with his wife. And then after having intercourse, I can then point to him that he is this child's father. But the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that in David doing all of this scheme, Uriah being a noble man, he goes to the party, he has a few drinks, you know, but then when he gets home, instead of him going into his own bedroom, he sleeps at the door, at the door. He falls asleep at the door because he says, in the text in 2 Samuel chapter 11, I cannot go and lay with my wife knowing that my comrades are still on the battlefield. David being the king, he has somebody spying on Uriah's house. And they come back and tell David, David, it didn't work. <laughs> Uriah didn't fall from it. He, he fell asleep at the door. And instead of David owning up to his own foolishness, he writes an executive order. He calls Uriah out of R&R, sends him back to the battlefield, and also tells Uriah's comrades that when you all get in the heat of battle, put Uriah on the front line. And when the enemy comes, I want you all to leave Uriah standing by himself. So that when the arrow is thrown, when the spear is tossed, that Uriah will surely die. David's plan B 
works exactly how he perceived it to happen. Perceived it in his mind to kill an innocent man after raping this innocent man's wife, having a child, and then trying to cover it up. You would think that David would have felt remorseful in his own will. But hey, when you're the king, who's going to convict you of anything? When you're the king, who's going to tell you that you, can't, you couldn't have done what you just did? Because you... You're the king, and, and people wonder what's wrong with Donald Trump. You know, because he thinks, you know, you're the king. Who, who going to touch me? I've, I've got enough dirt on everybody over in the House of Representatives in the Senate. How they going to convict me on something? I, I know all that dirt. But even in those moments, God sends a prophet. That in those moments of David being on his high horse, even in the midst of him sinning against his brother Uriah, and most of all him sinning, sinning against God, God sends the prophet Nathan, not with a make-me-feel-good message, but he sends the prophet Nathan with a David, you are wrong message. And you are blessed in this life. If you have a friend, a person in your life who, who hears from the Lord and comes to tell you about your foolishness. Because a person who doesn't love you as a friend, Lindasia, will let you do any and everything you think you're bad enough to do. But you have to love and appreciate anyone in your life who will come and not only tell you when they were wrong, but will also tell you when you are wrong. And many of us cannot handle that level of friendship. Do y'all hear me? Many of us cannot handle that level of friendship with someone of telling us when we are when we are wrong. But Nathan shows us even in the midst of, of telling someone that they are wrong, there, there's a way to go about it. <laughs> and if you are somebody's friend and you count yourself as a friend, you have to know how to approach your friends. Y'all don't hear me today. Amen. You, that, that what works for one friend may not work for every friend. And, and you being a friend, you have to evaluate what level your friends are on. Y'all hear me? And somebody who you can just be uncut with, you can't do that with everybody. Some people you have to package it in a certain way. Y'all hear me today? So they will be able to receive you in love. Now, even in the midst of you trying to package stuff in a certain way, there are going to be some people 
people will not receive. Do y'all hear me? Even in you doing your best to help them, help themselves, and you doing it in the most Christian and tactful way, there are some people, some friends, even in your circle, who will not receive you. And when you find those people, the best thing you can do for them is pray for them. Because it's some people in my life that I know they won't receive anything I have to say to them. No matter how much of a friend I've tried to be to them, no matter how much I've tried to walk with them gingerly, there are some folks who go to church who will not receive you. There are some folks who say they love the Lord, but let you try to help them, and they'll have you thinking that you're crazy. And I really want to say something. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. They'll have you thinking that you are crazy when it's them who really have the issue. They, Nathan shows us that as a true friend, as a prophet in someone's life, God is going to hold me accountable how I hold my friends accountable. Y'all hear me? God is going to hold me accountable of how I hold those people in whom I say I love accountable. The Bible tells us that instead of Nathan, instead of God speaking to David himself, he sends Nathan. And he tells, he gives Nathan exactly what to say. And, David, and Nathan, knowing that David was a man who could not just receive it hot off the press, has to dress it up in a parable so that his friend would be able to receive what he said. He says, now David, say for instance, what as the king, what would you do? And some folks, you just got to put it in their lap. Right? I'm trying to help us today. Some folks, you just got to put it in their lap and say, now, David, I'm going to tell you something, and you tell me what would you do. He says, say, for instance, if there was a rich man and a poor man, David said, I don't find myself guilty of Y'all don't hear me today. And David being full of himself in verse number five, he, the Bible tells us he becomes angry because he's so self-righteous and so full of himself he cannot even see the wrong in which he committed just one chapter ago I asked us I, you know I'm asking God you know God rid me of selfish people right because selfish people will suck all the life out of somebody else without pouring back into anybody that everything, every issue always got to be, somebody else got to be wrong. They can't never be wrong. You know, and when I say, Lord, deliver me from selfish people, I'm really telling the Lord, Lord, deliver me from me. Because sometimes I can be selfish. Because I want what I want when I want how I want. That was a blues song somewhere. I, don't, I can't. 
I can't think of who it was at the moment, amen. But anyway, but, but David being so selfish and so full of himself, he becomes angry and he tells Nathan, Nathan, as long as I'm the king, if any of that happens, I'm going to kill that man. If any of that comes before my court, I'm going to make sure I rid myself and rid this kingdom of that person. And, and, and not only will I kill them, but before I kill them, I'll make sure that they have to pay restitution. And I won't only say that I'm going to take their life, but I'm going to make sure that I put them in a hole financially so they will also feel the financial burden of their distress. David gets this from Exodus chapter 22. Well, when the law was given unto Moses, and Moses was told by God, if any person steals the animal of somebody else, they will not only have to replace that animal, but they will have to replace three more of them to give them four times, or three times, depending on how you count them, three times one, you know, yeah, three times Y'all get the point, right? <laughs> that I'm going to make them feel the financial burden of their wrong. And then David being so selfish and so self-righteous and self-centered, he pronounces his own judgment. Essentially, he tells Nathan, if I hear about that, I'm going to kill myself because that's what I just said I'll do for somebody else. And David had to learn the hard lesson that you, you shouldn't require of some, you shouldn't require a standard of somebody else that you're not willing to uphold yourself. David hears these. And at the risk, in verse number seven, of Nathan being beheaded, fired, or blackballed, he speaks up and says, David, this man that I'm talking about, you. That although I gave it to you, packaged how you will receive it, you are the man, you are the rich man in this parable. That Nathan was friend enough to know what level David was on, and in knowing which level he was on, he was able to speak God's truth to David at the risk of David not wanting to hear. Sometimes as a friend, you have to be that person who speaks it even if they don't want to hear it. Because if you know God told you to say it, God is going to hold you accountable if you don't do what God said do. And now we got to put that thing on the other foot. Got to put that shoe on. The other foot, just as much as you can dish it out, 
You've got to be willing to take it. I think that's what they said on a different world. If you can dish it, you better be able to take it. Amen. You know, that, 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 you know it, it gets under my skin. People who can critique everybody else, but they think themselves are above critique or correction. Right? And you know some of those folks on your job. Now, if they're in the sanctuary this morning, just close your eyes. Don't, don't, you know, don't, don't point at them. And don't, don't go after the sermon. Like, Reverend Chester was talking about you today. <laughs> you, know, you know some of those people in your family, on your job, in your life, in your church. That they are good at dishing it out. But when it comes time to receive it, it's another story. But one of the true essentials of friendship that I have come to understand is that a friend is going to tell you when you're right, and a friend is going to help you see when you are wrong. And you have to be friend enough that when they try to help you see to receive it, and not go back and forth with them, but examine yourself. So here it is, as, as I get ready to get out of here. In the midst of Uri, in the midst of Nathan telling David that, um, David, you were wrong about this, and you went about this the wrong way, God is not going to kill you as he should. But he's going to curse your, your seed. Y'all going to hear me? Y'all hear me? That in, in the process, because you went, or went against the will of God and had an innocent man killed because of your foolishness, this child that you and Bathsheba had, the child is not going to live. And because this child is not going to live, this curse is going to be an asterisk in your family lineage forever and ever. And that's why we have to be careful how we live our lives. Because now, generational curses, I do believe in. I believe that they can be implemented, and they can also be taken away, right? But we ought to want to live in such a way that pleases God that what we do will end up being credit to the account of our generations that are unborn, right? Now, the stuff that you've allowed in your life and God has pronounced some type of punishment or curse for it, you just got to deal with that stuff, right? Because for every action, there is a reaction. And God being who God says God is, God is going to hold all of us accountable one way or another. But here it is, here it is, here it is. Nathan tells David that you were wrong. David is self-righteous and thinking it's about somebody else. And David thinking about it somebody else, Nathan has to tell him in verse number 7, 
that this man or whom you want to kill is you. And God is going to show you grace and not do what you said you were going to do to somebody else because he's already established his promise with you. That God could not kill David because David had to bring about some more children. That I'm glad that I serve a God who doesn't allow me to get in the, in the way of God's promises to me. That even though I may mess up in the midst of it, if God has promised something to me, even if I don't do his will, he's still going to do his part, not because of me, but in spite of me. So in the midst of David having to live with this reality, he could not die until Solomon was born. That the child in which he conceived with Bathsheba, that child was born and that child did die. But in the process of David waiting on Solomon to be born in verse number 24 of 2 Samuel chapter 12, David went to the Lord about his wrong decision. And in going to the Lord, David wrote Psalm 51 based off of the conversation that happened in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And instead of David throwing a pity party, he goes, and instead of him getting mad at Nathan, he goes and says, God, create in me a clean heart and renew in me the, the right spirit. That I don't want my sin to get in the way. And not only did he stop there, he says, I want you to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That when you're wrong and someone helps you find your wrong, it will cause you to lose some of your joy. It will cause you to think that you are not worthy of the grace that God used to save you. And the one thing Satan knows is because he cannot have us who have been truly born again. I didn't say join the church. If you've truly been born again, since Satan cannot have you, he will try to take the joy of your salvation by always bringing up your sins. That is some stuff that I'm shameful of. That I've done, not before I got saved, but I'm in that crew that did most of my sinning after I got saved. You know... <laughs> You know, it's only a few of us. It's only a few of us who's willing to admit that. And in being in that crew, Satan will try to take away the joy of your salvation by bringing up your, your past. But when you have a friend like Jesus who knows all about your past, and decides to still be your public defender before God, that every time in heaven, as we illustrated, 
Heaven is like a, like a courtroom scene. You've got the judge God. You've got the uh, defendant who is us. And you've got the prosecutor who's uh, Satan. And Satan brings before God a bill of indictment. And in that bill of indictment, it tells God all the charges that you are coming before the judge with. Right? And as Satan brings about those, that bill of indictment, we have a public defender by the name of Jesus. Who when we are willing and faithful enough to ask for forgiveness, every time that bill of indictment comes before God, Jesus puts on there, the charges have been dropped. But the only way for that to happen is you have to acknowledge your sin. The Bible tells us if you acknowledge them and confess them, he is always just enough to forgive. And so you ought to thank God today for those people in whom God has placed in your life who let you know God holds you accountable. That if you let somebody else know when they're wrong, you've got to be willing to receive it when you're wrong. You've got to be able to receive it with an open heart. And then not get mad at the person, but do just like David did. Go to God and say, God, help me see the true error of my way. And if you go to him, God will help you with that thing. If you go to him sincerely, God will help you with anything. Whatever it may be, God will help you with it. It may not be overnight, but God will help you. But you've got to be honest with yourself. And until you are honest with yourself, you will fool yourself. All the way to hell. <laughs> the invitation is extended. God calls this day for those who are willing to acknowledge the error of your ways and acknowledging the error of your ways. He says, I'll be your friend. He's a friend that sticks closer than any brother. If you come today, someone will walk with you. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a If that be you today, oh, what peace, oh, what peace we are done for, oh, what needless pains we bear, yeah.
do not care. Have we trials? Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble God said, Amen. Amen.